Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM. We got Stubb producing the show today. Stubb, did you catch up on Survivor? Can we break that down on Netflix today? Oh, absolutely. Okay, cool. Netflix coming up at 2.15. Also got a a really interesting non-sports story to bring up. Uh, Not sure if I want to do it at 12.45 or 1.45, but MP, I'll let you in. It's an update on AWOD's dating life. Oh, no. I saw saw your tweet. The question is, when you meet a girl, how long do you wait until you text her? Now, you're a married man, so it's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what would you think? What's the first thing that comes to mind? I was once in the game. You know, we we sent letters. You know, they arrived four days later. You know, (laughs) put the wax seal on them. Uh, I I would do next morning. Absolutely. Next morning. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Not not same night. I don't don't feel like... Believe me, I've made that mistake before. (laughs) Same night, and then you get the text back... Who is this? Yeah, <laughs> you, <know? laughs> yeah no, you gotta but, gotta give it time to breathe. Yeah. I, but I, I think I think next morning's fine. As, yeah. long, as long as you're not like six a.m. next morning. Yeah, gotta right. Gotta breathe a little. <laughs> gotta play it cool. So I had a great Saturday night. We'll recap that at one forty-five. Mm-hmm. Layton Casadante talks some local sports here in Richmond, Virginia, at one thirty. But you guys know the deal. At twelve fifteen, we bring in MP for a little crosstalk. If I could just have your attention, it's crosstalk with Adam Epstein and Michael Phillips on the fan. It's like that 190s movie that everybody loved. What's the name of that movie? It's not Crosstalk, but it sounds like Crosstalk. It's Crosstalk on the fan. Oh, Face Off with Travolta and Nick Cage. But this is Crosstalk. All right, you're back. You're back in the building, Michael. Travolta's back. Let's go. Yes. I I got a question to start, Crosstalk. Are you going to cover the hottest sports tournament coming to town? Is it the Dominion Energy Charity Classic? No, it is not. Okay. It is the 2023 October Pickle Boo at Pouncey Track. The Pickle Boo at Pouncey Track. Yes. And uh, 910 The Fan will have a representative. Playing? Yes. No. Yes, I'm playing singles. A pro Sing- pickleball tournament. $10,000 prize. Singles? Yes, singles. Wow, you're not even, like, you're going to legit run. Yeah, well, Mike Barber was busy on Saturday. Uh-huh. He couldn't play doubles yeah. with yeah. me. So uh, I knew I had to sign up. I've been talking a lot of smack on I these airwaves. Um, so I'll get my first uh, taste at the real thing. Competition stub, right? You want, you're going to come out and cover the event? I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there. It's next Friday. Next Friday? Yes. For at night? 5 p.m. start. Twilight. If I win, I might be playing till nine. You know, it's double elimination. <laughs> double elimination. Yep. I love it. Yeah, I'm. I'm bringing it. I'm bringing it. I'm okay. fired up. I'm ready to go. I'm gonna spend all week now training, getting my body ready to go. Yeah. Practicing. Got to stay healthy. You know, a few months ago, my ankle popped. Dealt with a shoulder injury from wiffle ball, but finally healthy once again. You're peaking at the right time. I am. A lot of people are saying that. I am. So of course, we'd love to talk about the Commanders, Michael, when we have you on. And look, we got a big win. Uh, over the Atlanta Falcons. I said yesterday, though, it felt like Heineke would have won that game for the Atlanta Falcons. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I liked Desmond Ritter in the first half. I thought he made some some decent decisions. I, You know, you take the whole package of both of them, and Ritter had some really bad plays. I think on the whole, you see why they're still investing in him, why they're keeping him moving. You would say the same about Sam Howell. Made some bad plays. You can see why they're investing in them and not just chasing the immediate wins. I I agree with you, though. Heineke, late-game magic, three tries in the fourth quarter. Yeah. You get three possessions in the fourth quarter. That's tough. Like, no matter how much you're learning or growing as a quarterback, you get three possessions in the fourth quarter to to not come away with points on those. 
That is a tough look. Yeah, and him and his coach were not on the same page. No. They were rushing things. Then they had the false start. Then they had to call the timeout the on the other play. into the timeout. Yeah, so it bad. Is bottoming out. Yeah. And and I will say, though, I was impressed with some of the play design from Arthur Smith. They had guys wide open, like the flea flicker in the first quarter. Oh. They had guys wide open. And in terms of our offensive coordinator, you know I'm the biggest Eric Bieniemy fan. I but do. I said yesterday... I'm a fan of Eric Bieniemy calling passing plays. His running plays seem kind of basic right now to the point where I almost think he's running them just to get Ron Rivera to shut the hell up. <laughs> right? <laughs> Every, Ron made such a big deal about 55 straight passes, so he said, you know what? We'll run it up the gut on second and down. If you want my quarterback to face third and long, fine, Ron. That's a that's a plausible theory. That, that is absolutely a plausible theory here. And I... I've always said this. We talked about defensive talent last week. I think Brian Robinson is a touch overrated in terms of what he can do within the flow of the offense. I think he's a three-yard-to-carry guy. Sometimes he breaks one, we get excited. I think he's fundamentally a three-yard-to-carry guy. But I I agree with you that there were some situations where this is weird because it feels like Eric Bieniemy would throw a pass here, and here we are not throwing a pass in this situation. Yep, but we got to give Eric Bieniemy credit. Scott Turner didn't realize that you could throw to Brian Robinson. How Jr. about that? How about that? Dude has such good hands. How did you not notice that for an right. entire calendar year? Like, how did you how did you miss that during every practice for a whole year? <laughs> His hands are so good. Yeah, and you get him in space, and it becomes a legit weapon. He's I do, a bowling ball. I, I do think he's more of a Lendell White than a Chris Johnson, like you're saying. Like, you got to get him in space. Pace. He's good on third and ones, yeah. but I don't know about handing it to him on first and second down. Uh, that's why you got to have a guy like Antonio Gibson stay confident, not turn the ball over. He looked good. And Curtis Samuel looked good, too. Yes. And he's another guy you can get the ball in space to. And, and, you know, you've got options here with Rodriguez coming in, too, to get some carries. I, I, I saw enough there to trust him to get more carries yep. going forward in the future. You need a stable of backs because if you're going to get in games where you do want to run it 20, 30 times, you're not going to want to give B-Rob every one of those carries. Michael, we've got the Richmond Commander every day at 1 p.m. Phone lines are open, 833-804-0910. You could be the quarterback of that segment. If you're a Commanders fan, always call in at 1 p.m. We're talking Commanders. The question of the day today is... Should Commanders fans be worried about Sam Howell getting hurt? About Sam Howell getting hurt because of all the sacks, because of the beating he's taking. He Dude is taking a, a record-setting number of hits, and it's not particularly close. And he, is, he has been bouncing up after all of them. I, I really disapproved of leaving him in late in the Bears game to take two extra ones because this toll's already already happening on him. I... He's got to learn somehow, and I thought it was interesting, Ron Rivera's comment, that he felt Sam Howell's internal clock was too fast in the fourth quarter, that he was speeding his way out of it. He's got to find that sweet spot. That's not going to be easy for him. That's going to be a tricky balance. Anybody who takes that number of sacks, you got to be worried, and he runs with the ball. I mean, all all your warning lights are on there. Yeah, not a fan of Ron Rivera calling out his quarterback before watching the tape and then saying, hey, I've got to watch the tape. But it felt like he was moving a little too fast. I'm not worried about Sam Howell getting hurt because of how much he ran in college. And he's a bulkier quarterback. And I feel like he can take these hits. Now, I don't want him to get hit when he runs, a la Haloti Nada taking down RG3, and all of a sudden your knee pops and you're never the same. Uh, But I'm not as much worried about the sacks because, you know, they really do take good care of quarterbacks in the NFL. If he gets too hard, they're going to call it roughing the passer. 
as we saw when uh, uh, I'm blanking on his name, Cody Barton. Yeah. The Cody Barton roughing the passer. Right. Ridiculous. It was a great blitz. They finally came home. Everything I've been yelling for for two weeks. Quan Martin got to the quarterback just, too. Just finally showing pressure, yeah. which is so, so important because then they have to think about pressure. It, it just puts one more thing on the quarterback's plate. So, so important. Uh, I mean, the problem with Sam Howell is he's not protecting himself. He's running into sacks. He's, yeah. he's running into trouble, and you can't fix that, and you can't legislate your way out of that. There's, there's a genuine level of concern there. I don't know that it's an injury concern to me. It's a Maybe he's never going to figure this out concern. Like, right. I don't want to overreact. It's six games. It's just six games. But it's also that whole year at UNC where he kept doing this. It, right. it, it's a definite pattern. I mean, does he have one thrown pass away this year? Does he have one? <laughs> it, it's it's a move we've got to add to the yards. Was it a... Jim Zorin, I think, was trying to teach Jason Campbell to slide because yeah. Jason Campbell couldn't slide. It's you got to teach him that move somehow, and that that's Eric Bieniemy's job right now. You got to get him there. Yeah, I, I know it, it's a concern, uh, but I would say my bigger concern about the sacks is it's just that it, it stalls a lot of drives. That's the biggest thing. It's not that he's going to get injured. All right. And I think you can coach this out of him, but it's more the fact that, man, one sack and our team is not good enough to bounce back from those, you know? And, and that's why I don't like the second down runs that the enemy was calling in the yeah. first half because it just felt like it was like, yeah, Ron, I ran, did you see I ran the damn ball? We got one yard. And that's all it felt like. When you know? they get behind the sticks, it's over. Yeah. You know, any holding call does them in. Yeah. Any Sam Halsack does them in. And I mentioned in my show, I didn't mind the play calling late. The Sam Hal throws. Yeah, a couple drop passes. I think I think he gave Sam Hal a chance to succeed. It just didn't work on the execution side. But once they miss on first down, man, it does feel like you might as well just punt and get it over with. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you know I, I went back and forth on it, right? Like. It's obviously the not not the right time in the game to go play action deep throw, all right, and then have your receiver drop it. But if you hit one of those, it's over. We're talking about a thirty-one to fourteen final score, ball right? Game. Yeah, it's, it's ball game. He, so he's playing to win. I yeah. don't mind coaching to win. He's not just playing to win though. That I think it's bigger than that. He's playing to show everyone yes. that his statistics say that he's a top ten offensive coordinator. He, he's that's why he kept Sam Howell in against the Bears because it does not matter the score for the opposing team. It can't. It matters how much Eric Bieniemy gets his offense to score. And, and those first couple weeks when he was like eighty percent pass, he was yeah. making a statement. This is how I coach. This is how I'm going to win football. And games. you know what? That's how you win in 2023 in the National Football League. I it like really him. is. I want to keep him. I, I, I mean, we got a lot of football left, but I, I really like what I've seen so far. What do you think of Jack Del Rio's defense? I, I Fine. You can not fire him this week, but if you want to fire him, you can. That would, yeah. st- that would still be fine with yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, it, he still had the same mistakes where they, they don't blitz when you need him to. It's just so predictable, right? Where he's like, Kyle Pitts is going to get right. They're going to convert right. all their third and longs. It's just... I, they, you can just call before the game what's going to happen. Well, that's what I said yesterday. It's it's a term in basketball. I I know we talk about it in college basketball and sometimes in the NBA. Know your personnel. Yeah. NYP, right? This guy's a three-point shooter. You got to have a hand in his face. It's the same thing, know your personnel in football. You got to know the Falcons want to target Kyle Pitts on third down. You got to know when they send Bijan Robinson out, they're probably going to throw to him. Yeah. And yet we had linebackers covering the two. It, it wasn't good, and, it, it, you know, they go to the fu- the heavy set, the five defensive linemen, which I think lets Chase Young play the way he's naturally able to play. I think Jack Del Rio's almost conceded, like, this guy's not going to listen to me and play within the system, so let's at least put him in a spot where he can maybe be a little more productive, Yeah, uh, which which isn't a great long-term thing, but here we are. This is what we're dealing with. Um, but, man, I just, just so many predictable lapses.
That's Michael Phillips. Check out MP on the Mic Monday through Friday right here on 910 The Fan from 10 to 12 noon. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. My black and gold game recap is coming up next. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM. Always available on the go on the free Odyssey app. Download it today and just search 910 The Fan We are proud to be Richmond's home of the Washington Commanders, who did get an ugly road victory 24-16 over the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. Uh, It was filled with a bunch of mistakes, poor clock management, but you know what? They won the turnover battle. That was the most important part of the game. And Ron Rivera, after the game, alluded to the sign that he placed in the locker room. Whether you liked it or not, the sign read, do your job. And told you guys my take. I didn't think Ron Rivera did his job in the offseason. I didn't think Jack Del Rio was doing his job quite well this season. Well, after the win, Rivera told the players, y'all did the job, but you've got to pay attention to detail. We are not detail-oriented. We've got to be detail-oriented. You want to be a great team? Details. Little things add up. Little things become big things. Big things become great things, and you become champions. That is the way it happens. You know what? I'm not a big Ron Rivera fan. That was pretty inspirational right there. I like that. Big things become great things, and you become champions. Question of the day, 833-804-0910. 833-804-0910. Sam Howe obviously leads the NFL in sacks. Are you worried that QB1 Sam Howe will get hurt? 833-804-0910 here on the Richmond Commander. It's time for the Richmond Commander. Are you ready for some- The phones are open. It's your chance to be the quarterback of this segment. There's something I like to say. Every day at 1 p.m. on AWOD Radio, the Richmond Commander. Phone lines are open. Call AWOD, 833-804-0910. Are you worried about Sam Howell's ability to stay healthy this season and in the future? He's taken a ton of sacks. A lot of them we're starting to notice are on Sam Howell. The young quarterback is not understanding how to throw the ball away. Seems to be walking into some sacks, if not running into some sacks. Here is quarterback one Sam Howell after the game talking about protecting the football and getting sacked. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that's that's another big thing is like, you know, there's certain situations where maybe a, a fine incompletion is not as good as taking a sack, especially when you're trying to run some clock out or something like that. But yeah, just trying to keep two hands on the ball in the pocket at all times. You know, I had that one strip sack in the first game, and that, that's something that really hasn't happened to me much, but it's just been a kind of point of emphasis for me as we've gone throughout the season is take care of the ball. Um, and, you know, if, at the end of the day, if you have to take a sack, take the sack. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's just something we've been working on. I love that quote from Sam Howe because I'll be honest with you, week one against the Cardinals, that was one of the worst plays I've seen by a quarterback. Not only did he take a big sack, but he took a long loss, and he dropped the football. It was picked up, recovered, and ran in for a touchdown. You can't have that happen. And although Sam Howell has been sacked more than anyone in the National Football League by a good margin, right? Top four, Desmond Ritter's been sacked 19 times, Justin Fields 24, Daniel Jones 28. Sam Howell's up at 34 sacks in just his six games um, as a starter this season in the National Football League. But here's what I'll say. Sam Howell's sacks are not leading to fumbles. They're not leading to turnovers. Since game one, he's been a lot better at holding onto the ball when he takes the sack. And I think that's the most important thing. Sacks are terrible. 
Sack fumbles can you lo can lose you a game, though. We can't let that happen. And so I, I, I'm not worried that Sam Howe is going to get hurt because this is a guy that ran for almost 900 yards his junior season in college. And this is a guy, and Sam Howell, that I believe is so used to making plays happen by waiting in the pocket that he can handle taking these hits. What I mean by that is in college, I think it almost went to his favor. Hey, he's hanging around the pocket. They can't sack him. He's got good protection. Now I'm going to jet downfield and run for 10 yards. Or now I'm going to take a deep shot and, and, and try to find a streaking receiver that's wide open uh, because the defense is tired and they've been guarding him for seven seconds. In college, that helped for him. In the NFL, he doesn't have seven, eight, nine seconds. Defensive ends, defensive tackles are just too good. So while he has not learned the NFL timing of the quarterback position of when to throw the ball away, he's used to taking these hits. He ran so often in college, he can get hit and get back up again, and you're never going to keep him down. And I keep saying that about Sam Howell. He's also a bigger quarterback, right? He's He's got some muscle on him, and I'm not worried about this guy getting hurt by taking sacks. The NFL takes such good care of these quarterbacks. It's not like he's going to be, you know, uh, duplexed or, or somebody's going to do a sumo wrestling move on him and put their entire body weight on him. They don't want to do that because they don't want to give up a 15-yard penalty. So when they take him down, they're going to take him down by the ankles. They're going to slowly get him down, but I don't think it's going to be enough to really injure the young quarterback. The key, though, for Washington now, though, is taking this momentum and moving forward and being able, being able to say as a team, look, we got a big win on the road. Now we need to shift gears from this victory and get focused on a new week against the New York Giants. This is a winnable game. They only have one win this season. And you know what? If I'm a Washington commander, I hate the New York Giants. Why is that? Because they ruined your season last year. You were 7-5 and five getting ready to make a postseason appearance. After that, you were 7-6-1 and one because you tied the Giants on the road and then you lost to them at home on Sunday night football. If I'm a member of the Washington Commanders, I've been waiting all season to get my licks on Daniel Jones, to get my revenge on Brian Dable and the New York football Giants. Jonathan Allen joins the Sports Junkies every Monday at 9 a.m. Here's John Allen talking about shifting gears and getting ready for the Giants. Clip number two. To be honest, it's already switched. Losses take a little bit longer because you break it down more. But after a win, it's like, hey, that was a great win. That was a great feeling. But, like, we can't have the ups and downs. We can't go into Atlanta and beat Atlanta and then give up 40 to Chicago at home. We just can't do that, especially as a defense. So, for me, it's like, all right, we we put one block down. Now let's take the next up and put another block down. And let's try to build this thing up. You know what I mean? I think the definition of excellency is, is being consistent. Anybody in the NFL can have one great game. Anybody in the NFL can have two great games. I don't care who you are. The worst player in the NFL has the ability and the talent level to go out there and play great for one game. But the great ones do it consistently. And that's that's what I'm chasing. That's what I want to do. And that's what I want this defense to do. Not have one good game and then a bad game and then a good game. But weeks and months and strip month, multiple months of solid, fundamentally sound, aggressive, physical defense. So... We're trying to stack another block this week. I love that quote from Jonathan Allen. Truly inspiring, this stuff there. He makes a great point. You know, anybody in the NFL can have one good game. Can you have consistent good games? Last year, 
Week 5 that ended up being the turning point for the Commanders' defense, holding Chicago on Thursday Night Football to just seven games and getting off the field with a stop on the final play. This week, this year in Week 5, the defense got right. Week before, you give up 40 to the Chicago Bears. Week 5, you still have some issues. You give up 400 yards to a struggling Atlanta Falcons offense that only scores 16 points per game. But you know what? You held them to 16 points in that game. So that was really important there to shift gears defensively and figure out how to stop teams from getting into the end zone, right? Jack Del Rio's thing has always been bend but don't break. You can stop them in the red zone. They don't have to get seven points. You can hold them to field goals and give your your offense a chance to go win the game. So that was your get-right game against the Falcons. Now you got to go get this one against the New York Giants. That offense has scored less points than any team in the National Football League. No offense has had more struggles than the New York Giants. Our defense has to come to play. They have to set the tone. You have to force three and outs. You got to keep stay hot with the turnovers, right? You have three interceptions against the Falcons. I want one or two against the New York Giants this Sunday. The offense will keep playing well. The offense will keep scoring 20 to 25 points per game. Can the defense go from allowing teams to score 32 points per game to around the Falcons where they had this past weekend at 16? That's the most important thing. But no, I'm not worried about Sam Howell getting injured because he's take too, taken too many sacks. Phone lines are open if you want to chime in. 833-804-0910. Don't go anywhere. Don't change that dial. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are always open if you want to chime in. 833-804-0910. 833-804-0910. I just saw at 810 Media Day, you had Ryan Odom and Zeb Jackson speaking with the media and going through all of their interviews. Ryan Odom looking sharp. Zeb Jackson, our point guard, our leader, in a nice little VCU polo. So we'll get into that with any news that breaks over the next hour and a half of AWOD Radio. But joining us as he does every Tuesday at 1.30 on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline to run around local sports in Richmond, Virginia, it's Lane Casadante. What's going on, Lane? Hey, Adam. Good afternoon. How's everybody? It's going pretty well here. And uh, let's start with high school football. And it doesn't matter who's the quarterback for Thomas Dale. You can't beat them right now, right? Yeah, they they are one of the most balanced teams that we've seen around here in a long time, certainly that Kevin Tucker has had uh, in his tenure as head coach of the Knights. And now we know not only are they balanced, but they also have a little bit of depth. Uh, And we actually talked to Kevin, uh, Sean Robertson, and myself. Did They've had a number of injuries, and they're going to get some people back healthy. They won't get Ethan Minter back, but uh, Ethan Medley has proven more than a worthy uh, replacement in stepping into that role and leading them to a couple of wins. But Thomas Dale is actually going to get healthier and stronger towards the end of the season, which makes them uh, even more of a challenge for whomever gets in their way between now and, let's say, the middle of next month. Lane, what were the other big stories out of high school football this past weekend? Well, what's really funny is that uh, the, the back half of our 
CBS 6, 9, 10, the fan high school poll, all lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bottom four, and they lost once, and they were all replaced. <laughs> and this week we've got uh, teams like Huguenot and Thomas Jefferson entering for the first time, a couple of city programs. Thomas Jefferson is 6-0. and uh, They are 6-0 and in back-to-back seasons for the first time in school history, and that school history goes back to the early days of the Great Depression. So that kind of gives you an idea of how historic this run has been for the Vikings um, as they get set to not just make the playoffs in their region again, but go deep into November and December. Um, Huguenot, obviously, with Charles Scott over from Life Christian Academy. He's kind of revamped the Falcons program. Uh, Matoica came up with a, a big win this past weekend, a statement win on the road at Hopewell. So that, that, that bottom four spots, all got cleared out and were all replaced uh, by teams that are having seasons that for some of their programs are the best they've had in a little while. Lane Casadante with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline to run around local sports here in Richmond, Virginia. You can check out Lane on CBS 6 here locally and follow him on social media, Lane CTV Sports. Uh, let's discuss the three high school football state champions from last year. Trinity, have they taken a step back? They're 3-3. Three and three. Dinwiddie, uh, I believe they're 4-3 and three on the year. And Highland Springs, 6-1. and one. Trinity, actually, they just dropped a game up at St. Michael's the Archangel, which is in Fredericksburg. And I caught the very end of that game, and the game-winning touchdown and they, it was scored with less than 25 seconds to go in the game. Um, you know, to to have as many kids as Trinity had last year move on to play at the next level, especially when you're a smaller enrollment school, a private school, it's difficult to, you know, what we would consider reload. Um, there's, Trinity's still a very, very good team. Uh, Sam Mickens hasn't forgotten how to coach overnight just because a couple of the kids graduated and moved on. So um, I, I think we're all waiting for the showdown at the end of the season between them and Benedictine and probably again in the playoffs if they both make it. And I don't think you would find anybody on Benedictine that would say Trinity has taken a step back because they can remember the recent losses they've had to that team, uh, you know, regardless of who's inside the jerseys. Does Verina have any tough games coming up? Uh, let me see. Let's check and see who the Blue Devils have this week. Um, Verona does have Highland Springs, of course, coming up. They actually have, I think, three games inside of eight days coming up because they have uh, this week, Verona is hosting Atlee. And then on Tuesday, they have the rescheduled game against Hermitage. Uh, and then I believe they have a game again next Friday. So that's three games inside of about eight days. Um, and that will, I mean, that'll test anybody. I, you know, I know they're only, you know, they're 18, 17-year-old kids, uh, but they have Atlee, they have Hermitage, and then they have Highland Springs uh, next next week. So that's a pretty good stretch to yeah. close, out this, close, to close out the season, and then they end with Patrick Henry. Lane, let's move over to college football here locally, and Hokies fans are loving it in Blacksburg as, as they – Got a big win at home against Wake Forest, a week off, and then Thursday night it's going to be rocking at Lane Stadium as Syracuse comes to town. And it feels like all of a sudden there's a bit of life in this program with a couple wins in the last three weeks uh, sandwiched in between the loss to FSU. 
Well, if you look at the ACC, obviously at the top, you have Florida State, you have North Carolina, you have Miami if they call plays right. (laughs) Um, But the middle ground and really, you know, the middle to upper middle ground in that conference is up for grabs. And why wouldn't Virginia Tech be able to take advantage of it? Playing a team like Wake Forest, playing, you know, a one-dimensional offense like Syracuse. You know what Syracuse is going to do when they come at you. They're really good at it, but they're kind of one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, Brett Pry last week lamented, and we hear this phrase a lot more uh, in especially college football, complementary football. And what he really means is he needs everybody to step up. You can't just rely on the defense having a lights-out game. You can't just rely on the offense putting up 50 every night. You have to play together, and everybody has to come up to a certain level, especially when Virginia Tech doesn't have an offense that can probably score 50 a night. They don't have a defense that's going to lock everybody down to 12 yards rushing every night like they have in the past. But everybody has to rise to the level to which they're capable. And then when that happens, you get a game like they had against Wake Forest. Wake Forest is a good team. Uh, and they've, you know, they've had their share of success this year. And Dave Clawson is an excellent coach. Everybody around here knows that. Yeah. But when Virginia Tech can get that level of complimentary football, why can't they take a hold of the fourth spot in the ACC or maybe even the third? It's right there, and the team that plays the most consistently can go up and grab it. Yeah, and they've got a lot more talent on the roster this year. Jalen Lane, the transfer, has made a major impact. Kyron Drones, I wanted him to start all season long. He, he's kind of opened up the offense because he can run, and then that sets up the play-action pass. Uh, but, Lane, speaking of college football, there was a great article on the Richmond Times-Dispatch. It's the oldest question at VCU. Why doesn't the University of 29,000 students have a football team, and will it ever add one? My take has always been, we want to stay undefeated in football. We're a basketball college. Uh, What's your take on on this situation here? Why doesn't VCU start a football team? Money. Yeah. Football's the most expensive sport that any school can have, and I don't think people – really understand the amount of capital and startup and just fundraising that it would take for us. And even if it is the size of ECU, um, you know, their financial struggles for lack of a better term are well-documented over the last couple of years, just because you have 29,000 kids that go there doesn't mean you're flush with cash. Um, And there are so many challenges that would get in the way of VCU having a football team. Okay. Um, there's the Title IX implications. Football at their level, if they were to play, like, let's say, the FCS level where Richmond is, that's 53 scholarships, okay? Now you have to come up with 53 women's scholarships. And, oh, by the way, you have to fund those scholarships on that side, meaning you might have to create extra sports to balance everything out in order to be uh, Title IX compliant. Is every school with football Title IX compliant? No, I'm not saying that. But it's a consideration that VC would have to have. Secondly, where are you going to play? Uh, There isn't just an empty football stadium lying around in the city. VCU is having to knock down half of Hermitage Road just to get an athletic village over there by the diamond that, oh, yeah, does not include a giant football stadium that would have to hold at least, you know, uh, 10,000, 15,000 people. They do not have a place to do that. So um, I know uh, Dr. Eugene Trani always said over his dead body with VCU ever had football. (laughs) And I know he's not in charge over there anymore, but there's still that sentiment. It's just such a colossal undertaking that to just start up a team 
um, you know, you really have to have the, the, the fundraising, you have to have the financial backing, and it's not as simple as just going and buying a couple of helmets over at Dick's and putting, you know, a, a black and gold BCU on the side of it. There's a lot more involved to it. Yeah, and I've talked to Ed McLaughlin about this several times, and he agrees with me. It would take, uh, you know, take things away from other sports. Like, you know, we're good at tennis. We're good at baseball. Uh, obviously, basketball as well. Uh, and so I would like VCU to never have a football team and just stay undefeated. But speaking of football, the Commanders got a big road win, but it was an ugly victory. Lane, do you agree? I had the hot take yesterday. I think Taylor Heineke wins that game if he starts for the Falcons. You know, I don't know how much he's done. A lot, I've heard that from uh, more than a few people. Um, and they they seem to be, you know, stuck on Desmond Ritter. And he, he damn near pulled that game out for him, uh, despite all of his shortcomings and setbacks. Um, you know, you would like to think that Taylor Heineke would have had more of a drive, more of a, you know, want to in a game like that. Um, but, you know, if and when and you, you can you can play hypothetical all you want um but the other thing that we were just talking about with virginia tech and kind of grabbing the middle of the acc by the throat why can't the commanders do that with uh you know maybe their own division okay eagles and the cowboys they've already dropped one game they're not going to be easy teams to beat but they should beat the giants this week right i mean if they're playing as well as their the sum of their parts would dictate um, they should absolutely be winning some of these games. And I think uh, you have to, a, a, a team like this has to kind of learn how to win. You know, you can pull it off one week, but to do it repeatedly and to be at the same level and be consistent, you have to kind of learn how to do that and expect it out of yourselves. And the worst thing that, you know, would happen this week is we see them take a step back and just have another Bears game against the Giants, a team they should beat. You know, uh, we may have a backup quarterback again. Um, again, another guy that everybody around here is very familiar with, and Tyrod Taylor. No disrespect to him, because Tyrod has won a fair amount of games, and he's going to win a fair amount more in his history. But you know, the Commanders should be winning games like that, and good for them that they that they pulled that one off. Lane, appreciate you taking the time, man. Thanks so much. Adam, thanks for having me. Have a great week. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio on the Fan. Don't go anywhere. Don't change that dial. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. And this Saturday at 6.30 p.m. on everybody's favorite network to watch football, the CW. You'll have UVA at North Carolina. Joining us right now to go around the ACC from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, it's Mike Barber. What's going on, Mike? Good to talk to you, man. Absolutely. So let's start with uh, what I think is the best game of the weekend in the ACC, and that is Clemson against Miami. Now, Duke-Florida State's going to be a good one, too, but Clemson and Miami, both teams, um, you know, 4-2 and two on the year. Miami, 0-2 oh in the ACC. It's going to be hard for them to recover from that mistake by head coach Mario Cristobal a couple weeks ago. Clemson, I don't think that they've looked nearly as good as how I expected them to look this year. How do you think that game plays out 8 p.m. on the ACC Network? Yeah, it's really interesting, right, because it's a game of two teams that can't afford to lose, Yeah, um, and that makes it really intriguing. I mean, everybody's going to love you know undefeated battles, you know, Penn State, Ohio State, but there there is an energy when you've got two teams that had high expectations, which both Clemson and Miami did, 
that suffered some losses that, you know, in Clemson's case, I think was, was more uh, humbling in nature of, okay, maybe we're not on this, this level we thought we were. And Miami, you mentioned, I mean, just sort of dropping the ball uh, figuratively and, and literally uh, with a chance to close out games. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I think Clemson is playing much better football. I've certainly been impressed with Tyler Van Dyke and, and what he's been able to do in that offense, way more comfortable than a year ago, what they were doing with Josh Gaddis as the coordinator. I think they've found a system that works for Van Dyke, but I, I think Clemson is starting to round into form. When I say that, they're rounding into Clemson 2023 form, so yeah. it's still not national power, but good enough to get themselves back in the picture for the ACC title game. So I like Clemson in this one, even though it's on the road. Speaking of Clemson, I just saw – they only beat Wake Forest 17-12. to That's got to make Hokies fans feel real good about their win over Wake. Yeah, yeah. the transitive property starts to fall apart sometimes in these games. But, but Wake it hasn't been what we thought they would be. Clemson hasn't been what they thought we thought they would be. Uh, Miami hasn't been what we thought they would be. You know, Really, Florida State uh, and North Carolina right now are the only two teams that are delivering on what we thought they would be. I think Duke is exceeding what we thought they would be. I think Pittsburgh's been a disappointment. So it's been a little topsy-turvy in the ACC. But uh, when you get to the top of the league, I mean, I, I do think Florida State and Carolina uh, are, are legit. So uh, this Clemson-Miami game is very much, though, two teams that are trying to keep themselves relevant. Mike Barber with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. Writes about the ACC for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Also, the Teal and Barber podcast, talking all things ACC, can be found on iTunes and Spotify. And I got to give a shout-out to David Teal. When I spoke with him at ACC kickoff, he said, the, the biggest name that I'm looking forward to watching for Virginia Tech is Jalen Lane, because I think he can turn on the Jets. And he did turn on the Jets over the weekend at a 75-yard touchdown, a big reason for the Hokies' 30-13 win. Yeah, their offense has really transformed with, with uh, Kyron Drones at quarterback. And, you know, Jalen Lane was a little bit under the radar because Ali Jennings was the guy who was supposed to be playing that role uh, coming in. The ODU transfer, the Richmond kid, uh, he got injured, probably out for the year. I know they could say they're, they're holding out hope that Jennings can come back. And Lane has really uh, stepped to the forefront. And, you know, it's a good one-two punch with Daquan Felton and Jalen Lane. Felton kind of an over-the-top, runs the deep post, can get behind the defense. And, you know, Lane, to me, is more of a guy who can take a short pass a long way and, and make the offense explosive that way. So uh, we've really seen some signs of life in, in the throw game. Drones has done something with his feet running the ball. Uh, I think Virginia Tech, again, I'm not saying they're going to win an ACC title, but I think Virginia Tech is another team that is kind of finding itself here within the season. Yeah, I think after the last few weeks, the last few performances – I can pat myself on the back and say, you know what? I think I was right to say that Chiron Drones should have started the season for the Hokies. He's just opened up the offense completely because of his ability to run. Now they can set up some play-action passes, and it's also led some holes for Tootin uh, in the running game as well. So the offense has just been a completely different story the last few weeks. It really has. And, and you know, all of this stems from the fact that they thought they were going to be better on the offensive line. They thought they were going to be better running the football, and it didn't happen. And Drones has been the answer to correct that because the reality is they're not going to get a ton better on the offensive line as the year goes. They're going to improve week to week. Uh, certainly they, they've done some things. They had some guys in and out with injuries. Um, but what's transformed the run game has been Drones, yeah. and in doing so, it's opened up the passing game, and it's made them a much more dangerous team.
And, and the pit win looking even better after they uh, stopped Louisville from going undefeated this season. Uh, oh, so Hokies have a week off. Over to UVA. They travel to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, to take on the undefeated Tar Heels at UNC. I mean, the line is minus 23.5 for UNC. Uh, what's your take on this ballgame? Yeah, I don't know if that line's big enough. Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, Virginia has gotten better. I mean, they found some things in their offensive line and with their run game. And uh, I think Tony Musket is a better quarterback to lead a total offense at this point. And all of those things are great. And, you know, they're getting a little bit healthier on the defensive side of things. I think Cam Robinson, the linebacker, is becoming a star. Uh, the freshman playing inside there with his speed and his athleticism. All that said, this is a terrible matchup for them. I mean, North Carolina has the balance. They've been able to protect Drake May. Drake May is really rounding into form in terms of being the best quarterback in the conference. I think he's got 12 touchdowns against four interceptions. Uh, don't quote me, but it's close to that if I'm wrong. You've got Hampton, the running back, who's really made them balance. And balanced, <laughs> sometimes people talk about a balanced offense. And it doesn't mean you're good on offense just because you're balanced, right? But they are good running the football, and they can be explosive. Uh, and they are good throwing the football, and they can be explosive. And the addition of Tez Walker, which, you know, shame on the NCAA for not getting that done sooner. But his addition, I mean, three touchdowns in his first start, you're realizing just how big an impact that kid can have. So I really like this North Carolina team. I hope they're able to get into the ACC title game. Uh, I, I think that is the best-case scenario for the ACC, Florida State and North Carolina playing well and, and meeting each other. Yep, and Florida State 4-0 in the conference, 6-0 overall, and they face off against Duke, 7-30 on ABC. Uh, I'm looking ahead at Florida State's schedule here. Can they, uh, can they go undefeated in the ACC, lose the final game of the season to Florida, and still be in the college football playoff, you think? It's going to be interesting, and some of that may have to do with what Florida does from here on out. Yeah. Um, you know, that game's at Florida. It's a rivalry game. And if Florida has put together a respectable season, I'm not saying they need to, to totally turn things on, uh, then yes, I, I, think, I think Florida State can, uh, assuming they are impressive in the ACC title game. Um, it would be interesting. I think the problem here, if you're looking at Florida State, is you look at their schedule and there's that LSU win, which was, you know, great and, and dominant. LSU was five at the time, and then LSU has struggled. Now yeah. LSU's getting it back together, and, and if LSU puts things together and ends up having a respectable year, that helps. Same thing with Clemson, right? You say, wow, they went into Clemson and won, and that really was the tipping of power in the ACC. Okay, but not so fast because Clemson's struggling this year. So I think that's the case here. You need LSU to really put things together. They're trending in the right direction. You need Clemson to really put things together. They're trending in the right direction. You need Miami to stay respectable and go win that game. And you need Florida to be in a good spot where a loss to them in the swamp uh, isn't crippling. Yeah, it's wild how many undefeated teams you still have. JMU, Air, Air Force, UNC, Penn State, Oklahoma, Washington, FSU, Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia. Who are your top four teams that you'd like to see in the college football playoff? Yeah, it's tough because I can't split hairs right now. I've got Georgia number one, yep. but I've got Ohio State and Michigan. If I could vote them both number two uh, on my ballot, I would. That, that's how close it is. Then I have Florida State number four. I would love to see those four get it. Now, 
that's not very realistic because Ohio State's got Penn State and then Ohio State and Michigan are going to play each other. And, yeah. You know, that's going to sort itself out. Um, the third spot's going to be what's interesting to me. I think Georgia gets it done and gets there. I think Florida State gets it done and gets there. I think the winner of Ohio State and Michigan gets it done and gets there. Who gets that last spot? And um, to me, where we sit right now, it's going to be the next team in the Big Ten, whether that's the loser of Ohio State, Michigan, whether that's Penn State. Yeah. Um, to me, from what I've seen, that's the next best team. Um, but, you know, we've went all that way, and I've completely left out the Pac-12, Yeah. right? And, and what a game they delivered with Washington, Oregon. The Pac-12, to me, just feels like they're very good, but they have a chance to knock each other off a lot more um, in crippling ways. And I think maybe we saw that in Oregon, Washington, and I think we'll see that again and again in that conference. Yeah, I mean, Penn State certainly has their their season in front of them at Ohio State this weekend, and then Indiana, Maryland, and then Michigan. So those are the two big battles for Penn State. They need to win if they're going to get to the college football playoff. Michael, appreciate the time, man. Thanks a lot. And uh, by the way, I'm playing in the Pickle Boo next Friday. I'm playing singles, so wish me luck, man. Good luck. I, I was just pulling up my, my scores from my appearance last year, and I played double, so you're a brave man to, to take it on singles and do it on your own. Was there a crowd watching you guys? <laughs> yeah, there, there was a good crowd and good energy, and you know, people. we had great costumes. I, I probably don't want to share it with the whole listening audience, but I can text you. Uh, John Laser and I went with uh, the skeleton tuxedo costume look <laughs> to get into the, the Halloween spirit, and we actually uh, we got a prize and a trophy for the best Best costumes, best outfits. We didn't do oh. as well on the court. <laughs> Maybe I need to dress up. Mike, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio here on The Fan. Don't go anywhere. Don't change that dial. I'll be right back.